Welcome to Psychocinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. Before we start, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app. Welcome back to the podcast, Maz Phanasia. <laughs> Hello! Uh, how- how many times have you been on now? Uh, I think this is my fourth, fourth, fourth. appearance. My fourth appearance. Um, what have you been watching lately, Maz? Uh, I've hit uh, rock bottom in terms of um, movie, I mean, TV show watching stuff. Um, You've been nostalgia watching something lately, though, you were telling me. Well, a couple of things. Jonathan Creek, number one. <laughs> um, it is... The most ridiculous show. It's fun, though. It's fun. It's fun. Um, and I've been watching 30 Rock also. Is it dating really badly? Because I remember there's lots of really inappropriate jokes in it, <laughs> even though I love it. Yeah, it, it, it it's pretty dated. Like, it's only, like, what, 2012? Like, the last, like, the late the last season came out. Mm. Um, but just, like, the racist jokes aren't great. But it's also, like, there's a lot of black writers as well. Um but obviously you just, I think, equate everything Tina Fey, like everything she's involved with as Tina Fey. So it just kind of comes across as Tina Fey being racist. And it's pretty sexist as well. But I love Alec Baldwin. He's just apple of my eye. I binge watched Feel Good yesterday. Well, I've binge watched season two. It's a show on Netflix about a couple um, one who's like sort of genderqueer and uh, another girl and she, uh, the genderqueer character, she's got like addiction and like sort of anxiety behaviors. And it's just, it's just a really good show. And it's not really, oh, and she's a comic and it's an actual comic who created the show. It's just very good. Um, I also watched special season two as well. Uh, which I took a bit more time to watch, and it is also extremely good. What are we doing today, Maz? I think I said Love Actually was my least favourite movie of all time, but I think it's been replaced by this one, and it's Forrest Gump. I just hate it so much. 1994. I remember this movie was out, and I remember, I think it was Christmas, Uncle Cam had seen it and he, we were talking about it mm. um, in the pool <laughs> and he was like, it's really good, it was really good. And I was like, oh, it looks stupid. <laughs> oh, <gasps> Steph, you can't use that word. Um, hey, I was um, eight. Yeah, I was zero. <laughs> and we were like pretending to be Forrest Gump in the pool. That's my memory. And I remember the soundtrack mm. was really, really popular and like everyone had it. It's funny because... Like, reading through all the stuff, like, all the, any critical arguments, um, articles always hurt the fact that it's such a great soundtrack. But me watching it now, because I've seen so many Vietnam movies, um, the soundtrack is good, obviously, but it's just, Mm. it's just another Vietnam movie. It's the same music, it's the same songs. And, like, if I'm, I remember a couple times, like, when I was living with mum and dad, like, a, a movie would be on the TV. And I'd be in my room because they play the TV so loud because they're deaf. Um, and as soon as, like, two like two of those type of songs in succession come on, I just know it's a Vietnam movie. Like, you can guess. And, like, it is a good soundtrack, but it's not out of this world, you know? You know what? Controversial opinion. Don't actually think it's that good a soundtrack. It's basic. 
It's like, let's make a movie about all the eras of, of, of music. Oh, we've got to put the doors on every five minutes during the, the 60s. Yeah. And, like, give me shelter oh, yeah. over, like, a, a helicopter shot or, like, um, along the watchtower. Like, it's... It's not revolutionary. It's just it is what it is. And you know, mamas and the papas. It's 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 just the stuff you would expect. Yeah. Um. And like just and like when he comes back to Alabama, oh. they play Sweet Home Alabama. Oh my God. Like, give me a fucking Disgusting. break. Disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> What's better than this movie is the movie Sweet Home Alabama. Like we should do that next. I love that movie. <laughs> Like, that's a better movie than Forrest Gump. You know what though? I think because it was probably so popular because like. At the time, like, I think CDs were just coming in. Yeah. And it was that era where you couldn't always, like, you couldn't carry on your record player in your car. <laughs> so it was always like, oh, remember this song? Whereas now, in the age of Spotify, yeah, we do. We know those songs. But um, also, as I will get to, it came out in a period where, in the mid-90s, where people love to remember the 60s and the 70s. So hearing yes. those music, like hearing those songs just makes people think, oh, my God, what an exciting, amazing time. Um, and, you know, that's why people loved it so much because it's all in one movie. But, you know, we'll get to that. Do you remember the first time you watched this movie? Like, honestly, I don't. I actually... I remember seeing bits and pieces like all over the place like on Foxtel and just like watching it when I was young but I had never sat down and watched the whole thing until yesterday. So just to introduce the plot it's two hours and 22 minutes long which is just too long for a movie so there's a lot of plot points and I'll try to summarize. Uh, well it was based on a novel by Winston Groom which is a great name and Eric Roth wrote the screenplay so this is the mess they made. All right, the movie starts. There's a feather. We meet Forrest at the bus stop where he strikes up a chat slash just starts talking randomly to a lady next to him. He was born in Greenboro, Alabama, which is fictional, um, in the 50s. And his name comes from his grandfather, who was a member of the Ku, Ku Klux Klan. He is an IQ of 75 and a crooked spine, so he has to wear leg braces. His mum is implied to have slept with the principal of a mainstream school so he can go there. His mum is a very uh, supportive mum and he loves her very much. He meets Jenny on mm. the bus and as a little girl, she's played by Celia from Virgin Suicide. Fucking love it. Love to see her. And they become best friends. Jenny's dad sexually abuses her and she's taken out of his custody into his her grandmother's custody. Um, Jenny protects Forrest from the bullies by telling him to run and he breaks out of his braces and runs really, really fast. He gets a college scholarship as he gets into high school to play football because he runs really, really fast. He's still best friends with Jenny and they attempt to be intimate, but he comes in a towel and that's the end of that. <laughs> He meets JFK and says he has to pee. <laughs> he graduates, not sure what degree he gets, that's not important in the film, and then he enlists in the army. Well, he's They're, like forced into the army. Yeah, he's yeah. just like, I finished college, okay, come to the army. There he meets Bubba, who he strikes a best friend friendship with. He fits really well in the army. He does a great job. Uh, but before he gets shipped off to Vietnam, he meets Jenny, who is in Playboy, and he sees her playing covers of Bob Dylan while naked. Uh, while he watches her performance, she gets assaulted by a man, so Forrest jumps on stage and punches the dude and picks her up and uh, takes her away. He tells her he loves her, and she tells him to stay away from him. Cut to Fortunate Son starts playing by Credence Clearwater Revival. 
helicopters start spinning. And then my son Casper starts pointing and going, ooh, because he loves helicopters at the moment. (laughs) He's a fortunate son. (laughs) He is a fortunate son. (laughs) They meet Lieutenant Dan, played by Gary Sinise, who is really fucking hot in this role. I don't see that. He's really hot. I didn't ever think Gary Sinise was hot, but just like that Vietnam scene is like, yeah. The the Vietnam and post-Vietnam with with his Post-Vietnam, less less hot. Um, Ableism. (laughs) Only because I don't like long-haired men, okay? After four months of rain in Vietnam, the sun comes out and then they are ambushed by the Viet Cong. He sees some heavy shit. He rescues a bunch of guys, including Lieutenant Dan, who wants to die. And then Forrest gets shot in the bum. He's rescuing Bubba just as the planes nuke the area and Bubba dies, which is very sad. Lieutenant Dan loses his legs. While they're both recovering, he learns how to play ping pong and they give Forrest a medal for bravery. He gets caught up in a Vietnam protest and Jenny finds him. She's friends with the Black Panthers, just because, and has an abusive boyfriend. Uh, Forrest tries to get her to come with him back to Alabama, but she stays with her abusive boyfriend. He then goes on tour as a ping pong player, meets John Lennon. And then Lieutenant Dan finds him and he's pretty worse for wear. He's an alcoholic, I assume. And Forrest stays with him. It's, it's a very midnight cowboy scene and Forrest gets discharged and goes home. He ends up promoting a ping pong paddle and becomes rich, which he then spends on a shrimp boat as a promise to his uh, late friend, Bubba. It's very difficult to be a shrimp boat driver. Lieutenant Dan joins him as first mate, as he promised. Uh, but then a hurricane destroys everyone else's fishing boats, so they get all the shrimp, so he becomes successful. He makes so much money, he invests in Apple, or Macintosh at the time, and leaves the boat to Dan, goes home, and then his mum passes away. Meanwhile, Jenny is a Studio 54 girl heavily using drugs and attempts suicide on a balcony. She then comes back to Alabama and stays with Forrest for a while, but then after rejecting Forrest's marriage proposal, she says she loves him, she sleeps with him, and then she leaves. So Forrest starts running. He runs for three years, two months, 14 days, and 16 hours, and then goes home because he's tired. He gets a letter from Jenny, and then that's why he's here at the bus stop from the beginning of the movie. He's off to visit her. He does. Jenny apologizes for for- to Forrest for her past behavior, and then Haley Joel Osment turns up. <laughs> hello, hello, Forrest Gump. Hello. So Forrest finds out he's a daddy, and then I start crying. They both tilt their heads the same way, and it's very cute. He's also a very well-behaved kid. Anyway, she tells Forrest that she's sick. Film doesn't say, but it seems she probably has caught AIDS. Jenny asks if he will marry her. They get married. Dan comes to the wedding with prosthetic legs and he's engaged. Jenny dies and he becomes a stay-at-home dad and then Steph cries again. That's when I cried. That's uh, that's when I cried. And then little Forrest gets on the same bus Forrest did when he was a boy. But really, the whole movie is just the journey of a feather floating on the breeze. You know, like, I was actually going to try and go into, like, what the symbolism of the feather meant, but I just, like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) I think the feather, like, is forest. Like, he just floats along in the breeze and just goes where it takes him, and then he ends up going through history. Because throughout the movie, all this stuff happens in history. Vietnam War, President Wallace gets assassinated, the integration of black schools, Elvis Presley, the smiley face. That was a long fucking plot. Before I kind of go into lived, lived experience, um, the the author of the book, Winston Groom, 
um, he talks about... So this movie is not based on a real person. Um, allegedly, it's... I, I can't... There's no information about Winston Groom as an author and his problems. Um, but he cites that he, two of his friends, Jimbo Medor and George Radcliffe, um, were the inspiration for Forrest. And he says because they are, and I quote, the two biggest idiots I know. So take that as what you will. I don't know what that means. Um, but so Radcliffe, apparently because his voice is similar to um, Forrest Gump. But I'm not quite sure how he would know that because he didn't write the movie. I don't care, whatever. Um, and then Midor, the other friend, because he liked to talk about shrimp. Um, so that's that's his inspiration for who Forrest is, apparently. Um, and there's also a real-life war veteran called Sammy Lee Davis, Um and the real footage of, like, he was awarded a medal by LBJ, um, and that real footage was used, um, and they superimposed Tom Hanks's head. Just tell the audience who LBJ is, because oh, we're um, predominantly an Australian audience. Lyndon B. Johnson? Yeah, that's right. I was like, I don't, I've forgotten <laughs> his name. He uh, was, <laughs> just, he's just LBJ step. Um, he was the American president after JFK was shot. So, yeah, this dude, Samuel Lee Davis, his unit was attacked by the Viet Cong um, and he saved three fellow GIs by paddling them across a river with an inflatable mattress and then went back to fight with the rest of them. Um, and then in Friendly Fire, I'm not quite sure what Friendly Fire is. Is that just like... I think Friendly him? Fire is just like... Um, between friends? <laughs> like shrapnel? I don't know. Yeah. Well, so apparently this dude was actually, he was shot in the buttocks and the back. Yeah, so that's the inspiration for um, Tom Hanks getting shot in the buttocks. Um, it sounds like Forrest was like based off lots of different people. Yeah, it, yeah. But no one specifically. Yeah, in the book he actually, um, he's described as having idiot savant syndrome. Um, and they turned down like his sex life um, and character's profanity. Um, so in, from the book, yeah. Um, so according to the author, the movie took some rough edges off, which, you know, might be the problem in the first place. We'll get to that. But yeah, he, he in the book, we kind of see him actually be more like better at things um, like he fails craft and gym, but receives a perfect score in advanced physics. Um, so and he also so in the book, he's also an astronaut, a professional wrestler, wrestler and a chess player. Anyway, back to um, lived experience. Um, so Tom Hanks. He had COVID. <laughs> um, True. He has type 2 diabetes. Um, but, yeah, that's beyond the scope of this podcast. Um, Gary Sinise, your Sinise, Sinise? I haven't seen – I couldn't find any information about him, but he actually um, has his own foundation for military veterans. Um, oh. It's like, yeah, and he's won a bunch of, like, humanitarian awards and stuff. Oh, so wow. he's – yeah, didn't I, – I don't think he has any – he hasn't – served in the military i think he's just been in a bunch of military movies so sally fields um very interesting actually reading about her life she's an interesting character um she battled with depression while she was working on the flying nun in the 70s um and it led her to develop an eating disorder when she was 17 she flew to mexico to have an abortion because you couldn't have them in america and then the next week she got cast in a sitcom so i don't know that's not really but, you know, she's had an interesting life. Yeah, she's obviously been through some stuff. And she was married to Burt Reynolds, and he was very controlling and emotionally abusive. So I kind of... I, her is, like, this kind of, like, caretaking, like, 
motherly character I buy. You know, mm. she just she's she's seen the world and mm. she she's got some wisdom to share. Eric Roth, the screenwriter. Um, he was defrauded by um, Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme, which would have been hard. Which would have been hard. Ah, oh, poor sucker. I don't know if it was before or after this movie, but yeah. So I think what I'm trying to say is not much real lived experiences here. Um, I wonder if because he he got so scammed, he he write, writes things like Forrest Gump and Benjamin Button of like success to counteract how yeah. he was you know, thwarted out of so much money. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently he lost some of his retirement savings. That sucks. (laughs) But, yeah, that's that's about that on that. Um, Not a huge amount of lived experience there. Like, really none. (laughs) One one might say none whatsoever. Apart from, like, Winston knowing someone or two people with some quirks, really. That he called idiots. Yeah. Which I don't think counts as lived, yeah. uh, of, of, as research or lived experience of any kind. So let's talk about accuracy. I think I'll let Steph talk for most of this because I don't really have much of an idea. Well, we don't actually get told any diagnosis that Forrest has apart from that he has an IQ of 75 and he has, like, scoliosis. Is that what... Do, we, do they say scoliosis? Or? Well, they say he's... he's Spines as crooked as a coat hanger, something like that. Yeah, so he's obviously needs braces for his legs. So I was actually kind of looking up some articles, and there's a few people on the internet that thinks he probably has cerebral palsy, okay. um, and that's why braces were used to like correct his spine, which seemed weird to me because I have pretty severe scoliosis, and yeah. I needed a back brace, not um, leg braces. But apparently, they do use leg braces to correct spines um and help with alignment also if he did have if if he had scoliosis does it just correct after the age of what six or however old he was when he was running and they came off because (laughs) it doesn't seem like it's a problem for the right it's like that's why i think i almost because you kind of forget throughout watching the movie that that was one of his ailments yeah and then suddenly he's amazingly good at sports yeah more than one sport what type of message is that to send to children? I did, anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, look, I wish that if I just went for a jog in my back brace, which I wouldn't do anyway at that time, uh, and if I broke out of it, I was suddenly like had a correct free perfect yeah. spine. Um, but what cerebral palsy is, is it's actually like an umbrella term, a group of permanent disorders of the development of movement and posture, um, which is caused by some disturbances in the developing fetal or infant brain. And usually CP, as it's abbreviated to, is defined by, like, movement problems, but it can also have difficulties with thinking, learning, communication and behaviour as well. Does that... Would that be an explanation for his cognitive ability? Yeah, well, um, apparently, according to... I think it was CP League or Wikipedia that I read... um, 23 to 56% of people with CP have learning disabilities. But a learning disability doesn't necessarily mean low cognitive ability. That's yeah. it's a bit of a catch-all term. Yeah, I had, there was a boy I went to pre, like, to high school with. No, to primary school with, and he had cerebral palsy. And he was on crutches. Mm. And that makes, now I'm just, I'm just connecting the dots now. But yeah, because he seemed um, intellectually impaired. What's the correct terminology? Intellectually disabled or intellectually impaired is fine. Uh, speaking as a neurotypical, that is 
what I would use, or someone with an intellectual impairment. Uh, with this IQ of 75, Forrest doesn't actually meet criteria for an intellectual disability. Okay. He's got a, like a borderline imp- intellectual impairment, so very low IQ but not a disability. When you are working with children with intellectual disabilities, does IQ factor in, in that diagnosis? Yes, yes. Okay. It shouldn't because IQ is... I, your IQ. <laughs> I didn't do any research on IQ, and I kind of wanted to, but it's not. It's not the. It because like, there's a lot of like, I don't know, racism or, or specificness built into mm. the system that isn't quite encompassing of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're absolutely right because IQ tests are very white mm. and very normed for, uh, you know, et- ethnocentric. Um, the person who creates the test usually uses their own people <laughs> as norms. Yeah. So and, and I think because it, it's built around the experiences, like of a white person, right? Yes. So there's exactly. specific things that um, someone of a different background wouldn't necessarily get or understand. Yeah. There's this podcast that talks about um, it, it delves into that a little bit. I will find the name of it and post it in the show notes. Um, but the way cognitive assessments were written are very not inclusive of uh, people of different cultures and mm. the black community as well in America. So, and the Aboriginal community here in Australia. So yeah, they tend to perform worse on them. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with their actual cognitive ability. So, and like, you know, there, there used to be questions like who's the pr- prime minister of Australia, like not specifically mm. in the ones I use, but like, does that mean you're smart? <laughs> so that's like that's like it's like general knowledge yeah just general knowledge like what does that tell you about your processing capabilities or your your brain well can you recall information that would be commonly known and can you yeah but um often that's not a good indicator of who the politicians are of the day yeah i don't give a fuck but stupidly i'm gonna go on a rant i'll try and make it short stupidly the cutoff for say a someone to get NDIS funding or um, school funding is like one point, which is 70. So if you have an IQ of 70 or under, then you get classified as someone with an intellectual disability. But your how well you do on a test can change day to day, depending on so many factors. Mm. So yeah. we usually refer to confidence intervals when we think about IQ. Like usually it's between 10 points of 70. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's usually a range, range. And that makes sense because... Our brain doesn't just work like that. IQ well, tends to be stable over time, but it, it also shifts depending yeah. on lots of things. Especially if there are questions. Okay, say if like one of them was like, was the Prime Minister of Australia? And the, the, the day you did your test, you didn't know. And the next day you did know. Then are you going to do better the next day? Like, Well, you only do the test within two years. Otherwise, you'll have um, repeat bias. Like you'll be able to know what the next <laughs> what it is next time. But that isn't a question on on the on the IQ test that I use. I hate tests as indicators of intelligence or any like skill, and it's just because you know it's arbitrary. There's a lot, and just based on what you were saying about who um, Forrest was based on, there's a lot of people that believe Forrest Gump was supposed to have autism. Mm. Well, yeah, I was talking about it this week about Forrest Gump and, like, you know, what we're doing this podcast, and a lot of people were like, oh, he has autism, right? And I was like, I don't think so, but he presents as such, possibly. Mm. Well, he definitely has some traits. Um, there was a whole article from 
a blog called appliedbehavioranalysisedu.org. So I will not be posting that one because applied behavior analysis is generally very unfavorably looked upon. But yeah, they did list a few things, which was true. Like he takes things literally quite a lot of the Mm. time. And if someone tells him to do something, then he doesn't shift from that. Um, Mm -hmm. And like with the ping pong, you're like, keep your eye on the ball. So he literally stops doing that. And when the drill sergeant said, why did you do that? And he says, because you told me to. (laughs) And I guess the running as well, like like on the football field, he He's told to run. And he just doesn't and stop he running. Really fast. Yeah. And then he just, yeah, yeah no one tells him to stop. Told to do. Yeah. Um, he also uses a lot of scripts, which are common for people with autism who struggle with um, that mind flex- flexibility and mm-hmm. um, some of that verbal comprehension. So, like, you know, mama says, stupid is as stupid does. Like, yeah. it's almost like it's not always like with meaning, it's just said a yeah, lot of the time. He's just repeating the line, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, he has the word stupid and then he'll repeat the line. Yeah. And he also has a very rigid routine. Like, he still sleeps in mm. the same bed at home, even though he's got, like, an entire boarding yeah. house to choose from. Um, yeah. He wears the same shirt and pants. He keeps, like, the same stuff with him, like that Curious George book, like, mm. every day. Oh. His emotional affect is also, like, the same. Like, he doesn't yeah. show a lot of emotion. He's very straight-faced, sort of, yeah. The same sort of tone of voice all the time. And he does really yeah. well with, like very uh logical sort of things like the the ping pong he did really well with that hyper focus just keep going mm. um and like putting the gun together really quickly yeah like yeah. that step-by-step process he did really well so that like routine and rigidity mm. of the army like he was really suited to that and that can be yeah um it's like why a lot of um people on the spectrum are really good in some areas like data like um mm. coding and stuff like that because it's I'm not very good at coding. Is it, is I've never done the coding same before. every time. Yeah, it's like a pattern. There's a sequence like there's a, and a there's pattern. There's a, a right and a wrong answer, and and yeah, and yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know either. Of, you know, it's, it all kind of makes sense. So you build off that thing that doesn't change. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But he could also just be someone with a borderline ID, and that's fine too. What's that? He mean? just has an IQ of seventy-five, and he happened to also have right. pretty crooked spine. Like sometimes there's that's it. But based on everything, I think he was supposed to be written with those autistic traits. Yeah. And it, it's funny watching it because he, um, a lot of his behavior and a lot of the way that he does things reminds me a lot of like Rain Man mm-hmm. um, and Dustin Hoffman. And I don't know if it was kept vague intentionally so we could have a character to sympathize with, but not, I don't know, like it, the vagueness I think helps us sympathize with him more and want in like, you know, and him seen as this beautiful, innocent, white, you know, beautiful thing. Well, I think we we kind of get to this, but he's like different, but not too different. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Still yeah. sort of see ourselves in it. Yeah, and giving him like how Dustin Hoffman plays um an autistic character, obviously, you know, there's problems there. Um, but because you can identify him as like that's what's wrong with him. Well, not wrong with yeah. Him. Then we put him in a box, so Yeah. He's that character where he's this strange man yeah. that we're looking at rather than seeing ourselves in. And I was actually thinking about it, like thinking about your episode um, on The Simpsons about, um, you know, Homer and, you know, his his representation as kind of like the bumbling American idiot mm. in quotations. He is almost like um, not different enough for a scum where it's like he almost represents that type of person where it's like he just has a low IQ 
and he reminds me of like that white everyman who just kind of I don't know succeeds at life in America by not I don't know things just happen to him I don't know yeah so it's kind of in the same way that Homer obviously has no idea what he's doing with the nuclear power plant but he has that job and he somehow manages to get through it even though he has no idea what's going on yeah like I think Nathan was saying like somehow he has a huge mansion <laughs> yeah even though yeah and he it clearly isn't very good at anything yeah it's not a secret that Forrest doesn't know what's going on yeah that's the whole the joke of the movie that he's got no idea what's going on it's true if we're going to talk about like the accuracy of the portrayal of someone with one of these conditions or all of these conditions or just no specific condition I I don't know how accurate (laughs) representation of Forrest's life is Mm. I think it's pretty unlikely that Forrest would have all those opportunities he did yeah because society is generally pretty shit with people that aren't the cognitive norm the neurotypical yeah I think it's more likely he'd be pretty neglected and left to struggle through and his mom was a really big advocate for him but sadly not everyone has a really great advocate for them no yeah in that situation I think I think as much as this movie is inspirational I think it does erase a lot of the problems faced Mm. by people in that situation someone with a, a intellectual disability or a physical impairment which he seems to get rid of pretty quickly um yeah but yeah he only highlights but like it's great and inspirational but to completely erase any hardship he might have it's not realistic and it's like painting and this is a big problem it's painting america as like this just opportunistic place where yeah there's no barriers for anyone with a disability anyone can do exactly what they want to do but that's not life. <laughs> no, it's no. not true. Moving on and moving forward, that's not reasonable. That's not how people deal with things. And well, it's, it's not how people should deal with things either. I like, like, don't get me wrong. It's it's good to see that someone with a lower than average IQ does really amazing things because that is possible. Mm. Um, yeah. But it's not. I also don't think it's like accurate that it just happens to him. All those positive oh things he does, like he doesn't massive. seem to understand the weight of what he's achieved or have any pride in it. He's just like, it just happened. And that's that's how I feel about like my whole idea about like having a message of a film because what's the message there that he can achieve greatness even though it just happened to him? Like yeah. that's what why do we anyway, sorry. We'll get to it later. Just be normal ish. Yeah. Just do what you're told. Just do what you're told. Basically. Yeah, just do what you're told and just run and yeah. then you'll get yeah. what you want. And then join the army. Or, you, you know, we don't even really find out what Forrest wants, apart from he wants Jenny. That's the only thing he wants, yeah. Yeah. And he loves his mum. He doesn't seem to want money. No. He loves his mum. And it's not like he... He loves Bubba. He loves Bubba. He does want to start the shrimp business. But yeah. But it's also and like Bubba's like, that's, that's what we're going to do together. So it's like he was just told to do it. Yeah, it's not his idea. Yeah. Um, just one last thing on accuracy for Forrest. You definitely could not run for three years and your body be fine. <laughs> well, Even if well. you trained <laughs> yeah. for forever, your body would not be able to cope with that. It would have done huge damage. No, your no. knees would be fucked. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if he has scoliosis exactly. in the first place and somehow it goes away, but it's still there and, like, no. No, mate, no. I'm jumping, but that's also that superhuman disability trope as well. Like, he's gone from yes. not being able yeah. to walk very well to being able to run for three years. Being able to, yeah. It's like, yeah, the the opposite end of the spectrum of, like, 
not being able to be not being mobile to being hypermobile a superhero. <laughs> yeah, and doing things that are literally impossible. Yeah. That was my least favourite thing, I think, of the movie. I can't name one. I got too many. Should we talk about the other characters? So Jenny she's obviously got lots <clears throat> of trauma in her history. She's cartoonish. And I don't like that because Yeah. She, I, I'll go on to talk about it more that Forrest and Jenny, to, uh, not to me, like I've done a lot of reading, um, they're symbols of things, of people. Mm. And Forrest is a symbol of goodness. Um, Jenny is a symbol of everything that's bad, pretty much. And, like, its depiction of women is pretty shit. Mm. And also... Does it pass the Bechdel test? Oh, God, no. <laughs> okay. I didn't even look out I don't for think it. any of the women talk to another woman at any point. Yeah, they yeah, they actually don't interact. Yeah, true. Mm. Mm. Um, but I'm thinking like she probably has complex PTSD or borderline mm. personality disorder just based on the fact that those two diagnoses tend to overlap slash some people think they're the same. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we won't go there. <laughs> That's another podcast episode. But, like, she's actually, I think, quite manipulative in Tafaris. Well, yeah. And, like, are we, in my notes, like, writing, like, a just, like, my notes while I was watching it, um, when she tells him she loves him, goes away, calls him up, well, writes him a letter, says she's pregnant. Oh, no, she says she has a, ch- a chid. Um, my notes were, like, what? But she doesn't say that in the letter, I don't think. No, she doesn't. But, yeah, but she's, like hey, here's your son. I was like, what the fuck? That's fucked. That's the most fucked up thing, like, ever. Um, so, like, we're kind of led to believe that she has a child, doesn't tell Forrest about it, probably, presumably doesn't want Forrest to have anything to do with it, and then um, finds out she's dying and then calls Forrest back. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I feel like there's a way that her character could have been written where she isn't made to look as shit as she is. Yeah, 100%. I, I don't think it's a very good depiction of someone with sexual trauma um, in that it seems like she's extremely, like, like she's pretty much punished for having sex a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, the juxtaposition of Forrest is doing all these wonderful things and she's having a tough time and Sorting coke, yeah, getting addicted to stuff. And But I do think that, like, from what this, what we see about her, like, she obviously uses drugs to self-medicate, I think. Mm-hmm. She's got mm-hmm. suicidal tendencies. She's got a history of being sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Um, and she constantly rejects Forrest. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my first young person viewing of the film when I was really young, I was like, oh, she doesn't want to be with him because he's got, you know, a lower IQ. Yeah. But I honestly think it's because he's offering a simple yeah. life, uncomplicated, just pure love and safety and security, but she doesn't know that world and she can't cope yeah. with that, so she pushes it away. She and, only accepts um, the love she thinks she deserves, exactly. which is a quote from Perks of being a wallflower. <laughs> but it's true, it's true. Um, but it's like she has a kid and she's not going to be around and it's like, well, Forrest will provide that for mm. his son. And she is only redeemed at the end of the movie when she goes back to Forrest and kind of slots back into his lifestyle, not her own lifestyle. Um, yeah. Which is... So it's like, that lifestyle's bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> but also I think she, 
like every time there's a new era, she like plays a character in that era. Like yeah. she's a hippie in the sixties. Yeah. She's a disco gal in the seventies. She's like a country girl in Alabama. It's like, yeah. it's that borderline trait of not having your uh, own personality and fitting yes. into other um, personas. Yeah. And not a set sense of identity. But yeah, I just think Jenny's like a Hollywood bastardized version of someone with complex PTSD. She's not treated well. Baba. The point about Baba which frustrates me is that he's the only um, person of colour that has anything much to do in this movie. And he yes. is of kind of like the same intellectual capacity as um, Forrest. So, you know, the only black male or black person we see with any agency whatsoever, was what, like, we're supposed to like make fun of him too. I not make fun of, but yeah. Yeah. He gets kind of the same narrative as Forrest. Yeah. Um, but he's also played for laughs because he's because of talking about Trump all the time, and he's got he's got big gums. Yes, yeah, yeah. He's he's treated really badly as well, and then he dies. Yeah, and it's also like the gum thing is like a massive caricature of just like black people. Um, I thought that too. It's yeah. just like it's like minstrelism or whatever, like the big lips and the um, just like exaggerated features, and it's just like guys, that's like Jesus. He didn't have to do that. Yeah. He, didn't have, he doesn't have to have a big lip. Like, just give him... Anyway, 1994. But I feel like they had to make him be a bit bumbling and strange. Yeah, so we were like, course. oh, so he probably has similar stuff to, yeah. to Forrest. And I think, like, the fact he's so fixated on Trim mm. and constantly talks about it, that's a bit of a possible autism trait mm-hmm. as well. He can list all the shrimps. But, yeah, their friendship is sweet and it's very sad when he dies. Like, you know. It's lovely. Yeah. But it also is like, oh, Forrest can only have a really good friend if he's on the same intellectual level as him. Yeah. I do I do like seeing, like, unabashed, unabashed, um, like, male friendship and it not being treated yeah. as, like, um, sexualized in any way or weird because they're male. So that's sweet. That they... It'd be nice if they could be neurotypical as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Dan. Steph's favorite hottie. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan. Look. It was just a passing phase. I'm back to, back into Michael Watson. <laughs> so, obviously, he has a physical injury. Yes. So, which is what happens. Um, I read somewhere that um, from a wheelchair user journalist in Forbes magazine that that wheelchair that he uses is definitely not appropriate for everyday use. Well, yeah. And as someone, as a veteran, I, I know, I'm sure um, government assistance for veterans post-Vietnam probably wasn't fantastic but like especially pretty bad back then I'd say yeah but I think because America loves their veterans so much they probably would have provided him with a more suitable wheelchair I'll just say that well I think it was just like a hospital wheelchair yeah that they used so it was like it wouldn't be a, a wheelchair that you would provide yeah unless you had nothing so I think they probably could have done a little bit more research and thought oh this is what kind of wheelchair he would have used at that time but his i you know i think dan dan the hottie is probably the only like well-represented character because i think he does represent um ptsd and you know post-vietnam um trauma actually really well um yeah i agree especially like that depression and wanting to die yeah and it's, it's not rosy it's not glossed over in any way um he just hates his life and he you know, and it's kind of like when um, Forrest is with the sex workers in the apartment and then she, I don't know what she says to him, she gives him shit. 
Um, mm. And then Dan, like, tells him to get out because she's called him an idiot or something or stupid or something. I just, yeah. like, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of sweet. But I also feel like, you know, it's okay for Dan to call Forrest names, but as soon as someone, and it also seems to be the word stupid that no one can handle. Yeah. Like, you can say he's an imbecile or he's, he's a, um, a, the R word. Um I don't think they even use that. They don't. But, they know, don't. They can say lots of things like imbecile, but as soon as anyone says stupid, they're like, don't you dare call him stupid. So, yeah, him having a hard time post-war I think is very accurate. But because we are they we are juxtaposing Lieutenant Dan and um, Forrest next to each other, Dan looks like this kind of cartoonish, like, um, shell-shocked war veteran who's just gone off the rails. and He, he seems unreasonable. Um, but that's only because Forrest doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like he comes yeah. back from Vietnam. He's, he's got shot in the buttocks and um, he's eating ice cream. And like the only thing he can talk about is ice cream. Like it, the war has not faced him whatsoever. So it makes Dan look like he's not dealing with life properly, but it's yes, completely exactly. reasonable. Like yeah. everything is going through, like even if he hadn't have lost his legs, the trauma of war is going to fuck you up. And there's obviously a massive, like, you know, uh, historical record of uh, specifically Vietnam vets coming back and just having terrible, terrible time becoming um, dependent on substances and just because it was so traumatic and it was such a hard war to fight. And I think it was specific specific to Lieutenant Dan. He, I think they depicted him being really depressed and hopeless really well because he had resigned himself to dying on the, in the field and, you know, he is the lieutenant so he expected to die and then he had no plans for the rest of his life after that. So mm. he was like my identity and also my masculinity because I, you know, yeah. I'm not fit and can walk is all gone now. And I don't know, I'm, uh, he's absolutely lost and he just mm. blames Forrest for saving his life. Yeah. So I think it's, I'm not saying it's good, but it's an accurate sort of look, overblown probably, but a look at having to reshift your entire personality, image, life plan. I, I would rather watch a movie about Lieutenant Dan going to war, having expectations going to die or whatever, or having some kind of pride and um, heroism, and then being saved and then coming back to a really hard life and then overcoming that adversity. Like, mm. rather than having Forrest, who has adversity, who just doesn't give a fuck, and everything's good. Like, I'd rather see someone... <laughs> suffer but like you know what I mean like I just but he also gets his shit together because stuff just happens as well yeah and he makes lots of money oh for Dan yeah 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 like because Forrest he joins Forrest and then they become successful based on because of a, a hurricane but I kind of see I see I see Dan with some agency in like okay I hear Forrest is doing well I'm gonna go see what he's doing this is gonna be really fucking hard for me but I'm gonna try and like Obviously, they, they still come into luck because of the stupid hurricane, but, like, I just feel like he has he, he has made a decision yeah. to go and do that. I think, though, you know, it works out for him. He gets new legs. He gets engaged. That, I think, is probably not so accurate of the time. I think a lot of Vietnam vets would still be continuing to struggle, even with, oh, yeah. you know, some success. It's still, it's not like your life just works out. But also, don't love the message of, okay, he's no longer like he's no longer disabled anymore yeah the message is if you are disabled in any way the way to get your shit together is to not appear disabled anymore 
in in some way. So I didn't I didn't like that. But overall, I I, I didn't mind Dan the hottie. He's probably my favorite character because he's hot in that scene. Because he's hot. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind his journey, and I do I I maybe again like I'm a sucker for. Um, male friendships on screen but he you know doesn't like Forrest because he's well he, I don't even know if he dislikes Forrest but um you know he's just tough nut to crack and then he ends up not specifically thanking Forrest for saving his life but you know he's grateful and then they go into business and that's sweet and I like that I don't mind that all right listeners I'm gonna light a cigarette because this is what I really want to talk about this is my major qualm with this movie <coughs> So if you hear me breathe in and out, it's just me smoking. Okay, um, I love history. I love a good history movie. I don't mind the idea of reappropriating history in the context of a movie, adding characters, like kind of like Inglorious Bastard type of vibe. But what I'm not about is a white man getting placed into historical context and inadvertently changing the course of history and having no idea what he's doing and having no idea of the significance of his actions. It's just a waste and it's just unnecessary. Like, if he were to go through all those historical events and have some kind of awareness of what's going on around him and, like, it having some kind of meaningful influence over the plot or the fucking whatever, I'm okay with it, but I'm not okay with this. (laughs) Through my research, come to realise, I think the reason why history and nostalgia was such a big deal in this movie and... Mm. and credit to its success as well, um, came out during this time, I I said this before, but um, this major boomer nostalgia craze where the fashion industry and Hollywood were having a massive look back at like the 60s and 70s and kind of just reminiscing on how exciting and how um, and happening it was. Um, And it's almost kind of like self-congratulatory because the the people who were young in those eras were now older and looking back and... um, you know, looking back on all these crazy things that happened. Um, and it's, and it is, I think, representative of that way of thinking because it shows us all these historical examples and doesn't give us any kind of negative negativity towards it. Like it doesn't present it in a negative or positive way at all, really. It just is. Yeah. And Tom Hanks, is, um, there's a quote from Tom Hanks saying that um, it's not a political movie. And to me, if you want to present these like important touchstones of history and politics, it's political. Like you can't just include them Mm. to not say anything about them. I just don't fucking anyway. And I feel like the movie was made not to be a movie about someone with cognitive challenges or who's a bit different. It's a movie about history. Like Forrest had to be someone who doesn't care what happens or doesn't really fall conservative or or um radical or he's just like very much on the fence because he just doesn't care so it was like this is how we want to look at history yeah so we're coming to the end of like um reagan reagan 80s america george bush senior america um and then there's kind of like a more progressive shift after bill clinton but um yeah in this this time where conservatism and um this idea of, you know, the American dream, this great American life, very 90s Simpson-y type vibes. Um, Tom, like, Forrest Gump represents a conservative American because he just does what he's told, um, straight and narrow, gets recruited to um, run in football, does it, then goes to the military, then becomes, like, a prop for fucking the United States, and then Jenny is 
obviously involved in all these countercultural movements. So she's a representative of the progressive left, um, who we're looking back on during in this movie and being like, oh, well, that was pretty fucked up. Like she was. So, yeah. Anyway, but because there's no comment on history, basically, throughout this whole thing, there isn't any distinction between something that's historically meaningful or something that's just like totally arbitrary so yes it all just happens to him so is it meaningful or not who knows so like for an example um he apparently accidentally coins the have a nice day um smiley face t-shirt thing Mm. like he's he's attributed to that um but he also stumbles into a black panther meeting which is also like incredibly politically historically racially important yeah and there's so much more subtext to that that has like massive impacts on actual people's lives and he like picks up the book of one of the students walking into the school when they're they're trying to integrate the schools and there was an actual person who did that or did that not actually happen (laughs) the um stand in at the schoolhouse door so um the alabama governor george wallace massive segregationist just hated integration of black and white people he physically stood (laughs) on the steps of this um of the university of alabama blocking um there were two black students who were trying to enroll um he's like just like what a fucking baby like like, i'm gonna stand here and not let them in and then jfk sent the national guard um to remove him from the steps um so the two students were able to go in um, and enroll. So in real life, um, the woman, I've written it, Vivienne Malone, Maloney's whatever, um, she didn't drop a book. She was just holding a purse. But um, Forrest in the movie, she drops her book and he goes and picks it up for her. So, like, it's placing a white man in this crucial, like, moment of civil rights and um, segregation, desegregation, Um and, you know, he picks up her book because no one else will and he's being polite. So he's like, yeah. a, like a fucking white saviour and everyone's looking at him weird. Like, it's just like, that's just not, it's not appropriate to, like, especially in 2021. It like, it, like whitewashes history. On Watergate as well, on black history. Um, so he allegedly reports the break-in at Watergate, um, but it was actually a black security guard. Oh my god! And his name was Frank Frank Willis. So like, obviously they hadn't done their research, and even if they had done their research and they found out it was a black security guard, they probably would have kept it in anyway. But but I feel like this is all stuff. Like when I first watched this movie, I didn't know all these things that had happened, so I didn't even know which were meaningful or not. Yeah, it's only a joke if you know American history. Yeah, and if you're writing this movie, you're obviously aware of American history. They would have known that that was a black man. For sure. Well, me when I learned about Watergate in in my history degree, um, it's not it's not like a crucial point that it's a black man who who reported it, but it's just like why place him there? I just because he's like you know it's it's a joke because he doesn't know what's going on. Why would you use an example of something that had like massive implications for people? Like I, that's the joke. Onto like so like. They they treat Vietnam with kind of like the respect it deserves, basically. They don't try and... But that first scene where they arrive and it's like, there's a barbecue, there's music, everyone's having a good time, they're drinking. Is that accurate? Because I feel like... No. Well, 
it's it's very reminiscent of like Vietnam era movies. Like obviously yeah. I wasn't there, so I don't know. Um, you know, kind of like that uh, larrikin. It's not really a US thing, but like yeah, that like mateship type bullshit. Everything's free and easy. But yeah, that's yeah, it's pretty tropey of like Vietnam movies. Um, but there's still like when Bubba dies, obviously when um they get bombarded, they get shot mm-hmm. at or whatever. Um, like that is that is treated as a sad thing and there's no jokes made in that aspect but also like when it's raining um you know he talks about how it rains four months but like it isn't like and from what i've read and watched about vietnam it that seems like one of the biggest like things that was the most like horrible to go through just the constant Mm. rain and the conditions and the humidity yeah and i have to say someone who has been to vietnam the rain is pretty accurate it's bloody rainy. <laughs> and, like, yeah, like, the rain and the mud and the wading, like, that's there. Mm. But it's yeah. not it's not shown to be how horrible as it is. Yeah. Um, and the only negative we see of the situation is the personal effect it has on Forrest. So we, the only negative to the situation is that Bubba dies. So yeah. it's not making any form of commentary on the situation as a whole. I just feel like we're supposed to want to be just so neutral about everything like that's what they want us to see in forest like just don't care that you haven't had a shower in four months because he's fine with it you know he doesn't fuck give a fuck he's cool um and then obviously the ping pong like ping pong diplomacy was like obviously a real thing um oh yeah i did read that too yeah um so the obviously this is cold war times when the america is trying to fight communism um American Soviets are at each other's throat. I think America is trying to kind of get through China because they're a Soviet country now. They're kind of trying to make friendly, make friendly with them. Um, so one way to do that um, was to host, it's almost like Queen's Gambit, like to host like friendly competitions of ping pong and stuff. And I'm not as much, I don't really care as much about that specifically because it is, it's kind of funny. Like it's kind of a funny thing of like ping pong diplomacy, like he, 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 like placing him in that context doesn't really have any real consequence on people like there isn't any like it's it's pretty melon like jovial in tone um we've got one example of him um at the university of alabama and then we've got one example of him you know fucking ping pong diplomacy it's like these two things are so completely different and hold so much different weight you can't yeah it's not even so much that he's like stumbling into these meaningful situations but that he's also integral in them like he is used in ping pong diplomacy yeah it's not that he he's it's just around him and he doesn't really know what's going on he is a major part of it and that's it's it's it kind of erases the people that were actually involved in it as well like like, okay, in, in Inglorious Bastards, like, the idea is that they ended up killing Hitler. But, you know, Hitler killed himself, so it's not like he, they're taking credit away from the people that actually did it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Another thing, um, obviously he's given credit for creating Elvis's dance moves, but Elvis very famously stole those black um, those dance moves off black people. So it's like... I was just... I was about to th- think it just as you said it's it. It's like, like a Back to the Future, like with uh, Marty McFly uh, inventing Johnny B. Good. Or inventing whatever. the new sound, yeah. And this is why I hate when people say they love this movie. <laughs> so whitewashy. So, yeah, I feel like juxtaposing him in these major historical contexts, it's 
comic relief for the audience, but it just takes us away from the significance of it. And it, it's changing his... Like, if we watch this movie as kids thinking this is what actually happened, because not, no one told us it was fictional, then we would be erasing lots of cultural contributions from yeah. people of colour. It was just like, that specifically, it's like, especially in a time when I think uh, the world or me, um, you know, we're trying to highlight those those pieces of history and um, acknowledge them and their importance and not whitewash history. Like, this is just a terrible text for that. <laughs> like, it's just... I will... Okay, so Eric Roth, the screenwriter, they apparently they were having their ideas for a sequel that they were going to do. So in the script for the second movie, they obviously had the idea of having all these other historical things going on. So in the original plot... Um, it had Forrest riding in the back of OJ's white Bronco during his police chase. Oh, my and God. So he was somehow in the white Bronco and um, they didn't realise he was in the car. <laughs> that was one of their ideas. Um, yeah. That would actually and be very funny to watch. <laughs> that would be really funny because, like, I don't mind a bit of OJ humour. And another one idea was um, him earning fame as a ballroom dancer um, and dancing with Princess Diana at the charity event she went to just before she died. And the other one was that um, Forrest's son was going to be born with AIDS um, and it was going to be uh, a plot point where the kids in Florida, they were living in Florida for some reason, didn't want to go to school with him. Um, which is like, I, I, if that made it into a movie, I'm sure it wouldn't be dealt with well. So <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't make that. This is a quote from Eric Roth. He says, we had a funny sequence where they were desegregating busing in Florida at the same time as the kid going to school, I think. So people were angry, angry about either the busing or their kids having to go to school with the kid who had AIDS. So there was a big conflict. And I just like, is that a funny sequence? Like, what the fuck? What does he mean by funny? So I think he's saying that like the sequence is, the, yeah, that busing is being desegregated and... I don't even fucking know. Um, and then, so apparently they decided not to do the sequel because of 9-11. Um, he meets on a bus a Native American woman and finds his calling as a bingo caller on a reservation. In the big event, <laughs> in the big event in that, which you could see was diminished only in tragedy, I guess, because it's the same tragedy. But every day he'd go wait for his Native American partner. She taught nursery school at a government building in Oklahoma City. And he was sitting on the bench waiting for her to have lunch. And all of a sudden, the building behind him blows up. So I think that's like Oklahoma City bombings. Like oh. that's So she, apparently, yeah, he, like the idea was that he ha would have a friend who was killed in Oklahoma City oh bombings. Oh, um, And so of course says, she has to be of colour too, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, and he also has to be a bingo dealer on a reservation. Um, so he says, when 9-11 occurred, everything felt meaningless. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I think my issue with this movie is that I love history. I love movies placed in history, obviously. Um, but I don't appreciate it being a major part of the movie if it's not there for any actual purpose. Um, the moments in this movie about history aren't there to teach us any me meaning or lessons. They're there just to advance the plot, but could be filled in with any other plot device. Like, it doesn't have to be history that drives Forrest to do the things he does. It could be anything else. Well, I think we will refer back to that in stereotypes. Bling! Bling! <laughs> 
end of part 1.